0: Sermon text this morning, we're still in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. We're going to revisit this passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago uh, with more emphasis on verse 22. Since this is Ascension Sunday, you'll notice that the white drape on the cross is, uh, is now gone because Jesus uh, represented that Jesus is no longer on earth. Uh, he's ascended. He's in heaven now. That white drape represented his you know, 40 days of presence on the earth after his resurrection with his apostles and his disciples. uh, But now he is uh, in heaven glorified at the right hand of God. So we've removed the white drapery on this Ascension Sunday. So let's read our sermon text, uh, beginning at verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we rejoice in these words that we've just read. Everything has been subjected to you. And while others, most of the people, on the planet, reject and push against that. We rejoice in it. We rejoice in being your people. We rejoice in being your followers. We rejoice that you are our King. Make us good subjects, Father. Make us good followers makes bold and courageous adherence to who Jesus is and to the building of His church and to the glory of His great name. Speak to us this morning from Your Word, Father. Encourage us, edify us, challenge us, convict us. Comfort the troubled and trouble the comfortable. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As I said, today is Ascension Sunday. I want to do two things today. I've got a twofold goal. Number one, to briefly comment again on the difficult passage in verses 19 and 20 that we briefly introduced two Sundays ago. We won't be touching on verse 18. We covered that, I think, fairly thoroughly uh, two weeks ago when we was first in this passage. And uh, uh, so... And we won't be dealing with verse 21 regarding baptism and what it means. Baptism now saves you. We dealt with that two weeks ago. So if you weren't here, uh, I encourage you to go uh, to the website or to YouTube and, and look at those or li- listen to those messages again. Our focus today is going to be on, the, on 19 and 20 and then 22. All right. So I want to briefly comment on 19 and 20 and then remind ourselves of the importance of the ascension. It's a doctrine that's often overlooked in evangelical circles, sadly. But we want to remind ourselves today of the importance of this great truth to our own spiritual life, its benefits for us. So, uh, in looking at verses 19 and 20, uh, we're going to look at those verses under the heading of the announcement of the victorious Christ. And we take the word announcement from the word proclaimed in verse 19. Kariso in the Greek means to, to herald, to make a public announcement. It's what I'm doing right now, to preach, okay? So the announcement of the victorious Christ. First thing I want to say about these verses is something we said a couple of weeks ago. We don't want to be preoccupied with unclear things, okay? So when we finish this today, we're, we're going to pretty much leave it. And then I'm going to leave it to you in your own personal reading and devotionals, okay? Uh, because we don't want to be gripped by things that are unclear. Why, why is that? Well, as Alistair Beck said, the plain things are the main things. And the main things are the plain things. This is not a plain thing. Therefore, it's not a main thing. But it, it's, it's interesting and, and, and beneficial, hopefully, to, to at least address it a little bit this morning. We've already eliminated one interpretation a couple of weeks ago. Jesus did not go to hell to preach to the unsaved dead people to give them a second chance. There is no second chance. After death, according to Hebrews 9, 27, comes judgment. It's appointed for man to die once. You only die once. There's no reincarnation. There's no second chance. After that first death, after that Dying once, then comes judgment. So we eliminated that interpretation. Some key phrases I want to point out that, 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 are, that are helpful in our attempt to understand these verses. In the spirit, in the spirit, okay, is one of the phrases. Lowercase s, and there is no definite article v in the original Greek. So literally, it probably should have been translated in spirit. So keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. Next, the word proclaimed. I've already mentioned it. To announce, to make known publicly and loudly, to preach. Somehow, somewhere, according to this verse, Jesus proclaimed something authoritatively. And then the third key phrase that we, we will try to unpack is spirits in prison. This is the group he he proclaimed to or preached to, and the big question is, who are they? Who are they? Now, over the years of church history, there's been three classical interpretations to these verses. Number one, that Jesus descended into hell and preached to the unsaved spirits who died in the flood during the days of Noah. Okay, that, that's a possible interpretation. Now, not the interpretation that gives them a second chance, but just to basically tell them, see, you blew it, <laughs> okay? That, that's the interpretation number one. Interpretation number two, Jesus did this preaching in spirit through Noah because it, it mentions the days of Noah. Noah's a connection here, okay? Now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 somewhat support this idea. Turn back there to 1 Peter 1, and let's see what that says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Now look at verse 11. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, the Spirit of Christ in the prophets, OK, so basically, Christ was doing what he's always done and what he's doing right now. He preaches through his servants. Believe it or not, he, he's preaching through me right now. Now, the, thing, the things that my human fallibility mess up or blow, you can discard those. But the things that are from this word... You better hear those. That's Jesus preaching to you, just like he's done throughout history. And verse 11 tells us that the Spirit of Christ was in those prophets. The Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. So when you think of the suffering of Christ, what do you immediately think of possibly? Well, the suffering servant passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 53. That's the Spirit of Christ Preaching through Isaiah predicting the sufferings of Christ. So we have, I say all that and I say this we, we have a support for the Spirit of Christ preaching through men of old, okay? Preaching through the prophets and preaching possibly through Noah, okay? So does that make sense? Okay. So, like the Spirit of Christ was in the Old Testament prophets. The Spirit of Jesus was in Noah, preaching to people. Come on, get in the boat, get in the boat, the flood's coming. Preaching to people who were in the prison of their unbelief. Okay, so that's a possible, second possible interpretation of the three classical ones we're looking at this morning. Third one is this, Jesus descended in spirit. Remember, there's no the there in the Greek. And it's a, it's a, it's a lowercase S. Jesus descended in spirit into, Hada, into Hades, the realm of the dead, and preached to the spirits in prison who were fallen angels, who were fallen angels. In other words, he victoriously proclaims his victory over demons, okay? So Jesus descended in spirit into possibly Haiti, maybe somewhere else. Again, not sure. But the spirits in prison, in this third interpretation, are not dead people. They're not human. They are fallen angels. And Jesus is proclaiming, announcing, heralding his victory. In other words, he's... In an unsinful way, maybe rub it again. You know, uh, he's proclaiming his victory over these fallen angels, over these demonic spirits. Now, this third view is the view I favor, and here are my reasons this morning. Again, we're not going to be dogmatic about this. This is not a main thing, it's an interesting thing, and one day in glory we'll find out what it was talking about, okay? But here are my reasons. Number one, spirits in prison. I don't believe these are dead human beings. Why? When used by itself as it is here, the Greek word translated spirit always in scripture, always refers to supernatural beings. Always. Number two, consider these verses. Second Peter chapter two, verse four. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, Angels could sin, but cast them into hell and, listen to this, committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, i.e. prison, to be kept until the judgment. Also consider Jude, verses 6 and 7. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, in which they were doing what they weren't supposed to be doing, and we're going to talk more about that in just a minute, He has kept, listen, in eternal chains under gloomy darkness, i.e. prison, until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise, key word, likewise, indulged in sexual immorality. Okay, we're going to make a connection to that in just a minute. Likewise is a key word, though. Likewise, indulged in sexual immorality, and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Okay, now, remember the puzzling passage in Genesis 6? All right, let's go there. Genesis chapter 6. This is so interesting, but not a main thing. We're just going to have some fun with it. Genesis chapter 6. I mean, obviously, we want to understand it the best we can. I'm not making light of not trying to understand the Bible. We want to understand the Bible. But some things are just not clear. Even Peter said that about the writings of Paul in his second letter that we'll see when we get to 2 Peter. You know. All right, so Second uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. When men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, sons of God. That's a terminology often used in Scripture for angels. For supernatural beings. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim, oh, who were the Nephilim, who were on earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God, i.e. angels, came to the daughters of man and they bore children to them, they, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And then we read on where that's where the Lord decided to flood the earth, saw the wickedness was great, that the heart of man was totally deceived, full of sin. And so then, we, then the flood comes. All right, so note the links in Genesis 6, those four verses we just read, to Jude 6 and 7. These angels did not stay within their position of authority. Now, they're, they're going around looking for... For human women, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Okay, this is where we got to come to the point of. This is where we come to the text already with our mind made up. This is the word of God. I may not understand everything about it, and some of the things may sound weird and strange. But I'm banking my life that this is the word of God. So that that's a key element in this. See, if you haven't come there, then you you might be you might tend to. To mock or make fun of some of the things we read in the Bible. Okay? Like an axe head floating. Okay? If you haven't come to the point where this is the Word of God, it's total truth without error. And that's where I begin. Okay? So, if you haven't come there yet, I pray that, one, that soon you will. Because that will, that will help you in your understanding of the Word of God. And you can deal with a little better the, the difficult things. Today, we see in the mirror dimly. But one one day, law, I'll be clear. I'll be clear. Okay, but again, back to the links between Genesis 6 and Jude 6 and 7. These angels did not stay within their own position of authority. They didn't stay where they were supposed to be. They started getting involved with human beings. They broke ranks, mingled with humans, and engaged in sexual immorality with humans. Now, how in the world does that happen? Again, who knows, okay? There's also a link here. What did 1 Peter, what were the, these were the days of who? Noah. Noah, the days of Noah. So there's the link. There's the link back to Genesis 6 and the story of the flood and the story of Noah. Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll comments like this. According to this account, prior to the flood of Noah, fallen angels, i.e. demons, sinned gravely by cohabiting with human women. Now, how did they do this? Who knows? How do angels procreate with humans? Maybe by possessing human males. Who knows? Who really cares? It doesn't really matter. As Swindoll wisely said, it is wise to cease speculating on this point. I agree. Totally. Again, this is not a main thing. Third reason i lead toward uh, the, the third interpretation. Consider these excerpts from the ancient book of Enoch, admittedly, not a part of the inspired biblical writings, okay, but sort of like an ancient biblical commentary. I mean, we have commentaries now, right? They're not inspired, but written by biblical solid people, we put a lot of stock into them, realizing they're not the Bible, but they help us understand the Bible, okay? So Enoch was not part of the Bible, but it was a part of revered Jewish tradition and very possibly part of the prevailing view in Peter's time. Here's what, here, In 1 Enoch 6, we read this. It happened after the sons of men had multiplied in those days that daughters were born to them, elegant and beautiful. And when the angels, the sons of heaven, beheld them, they became enamored of them, saying to each other, Come, let us select for ourselves wives from the progeny of men and let us beget children. So there's like a commentary in early days. Another section from Enoch. Bind Azazel, one of the wicked angels, hand and foot, and throw him into the darkness, that he may be sent into the fire on the great day of judgment. The angels have abandoned the high heaven, the holy eternal place. So bind Azazel, this demon, and throw him into prison, basically, to await the final judgment of fire. So, according to this view, Peter is possibly, very possibly referring to the general tradition of his day, of his day and time, passed down through Hebrew generations that these rebellious demons have been locked up in a special place of incarceration in the spiritual domain, awaiting the final judgment when they will be cast into the lake of fire along with Satan and all the other demons. And human Christ rejectors, it is possible it is possibly to this place of imprisonment that Jesus descends in spirit between the crucifixion and the resurrection for the purpose of declaring his ultimate victory over them. Now, to me, that makes as good a sense as any of the others, okay? And you've got biblical connections in Genesis six and Second Peter two and, and Jude. Uh, one more quick note. Remember the man with the legion of demons that, that had the encounter with Jesus. Remember him? When Jesus confronts them, what do the legion of demons indwelling this man beg Jesus not to do? Do you remember? Luke eight thirty one? And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss with all those human, women-loving angels of Genesis 6. Sounds reasonable to me. Sounds very, very possible to me. Don't put us in prison. Don't throw us into the abyss. The prison for demons. So, another little point you could add to that. Obviously, listen, obviously, None of these interpretations is without difficulty. So I'll lean on what Luther said, which we saw two weeks ago. A wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for certainty just what Peter means. I cannot understand it, and I cannot explain it. And neither can I. Like everyone else, I can only speculate. Explain is not the right word to use with this passage. Speculate, study, throw out possibilities, wait till glory to get the specific right answer. David Helm said this, I have no intention of trying to settle centuries of mystifying debate and neither does your pastor, okay? So, we will move on to verse 22 and we will focus on a main thing, the glorious ascension of Jesus Christ. We're going to study this under the under the heading of the ascension of the risen Christ. We've looked at the announcement of the victorious Christ, now we're going to look at the ascension of the risen Christ. We'll consider three topics under this point. Number 1, the fulfillment the ascension uh, is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. I'm going to, to point out two to you this morning. Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2. The Lord, all caps, if, you're, if you've got the Bible translation that puts L-O-R-D in all caps, that's Yahweh. The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, Adonai. So Yahweh says to Adonai, God the Father says to God, the son, the ancient of days says to the one coming before him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion, your mighty scepter reign in the midst of your enemies. That's exactly what Jesus is doing right now. Most of the people on this, on this planet are his enemies. Yet he is reigning, and the ascension fulfills that Old Testament prophecy. The second one is Daniel. We've looked at this one before. Uh, we're not, we're, I mean, we're not going to uh, exegete it or anything. We're just going to look at it, Daniel chapter 7, and, and see how it fulfills, the ascension fulfills it. Daniel 7, uh, let's pick it up at verse 9. This is Daniel's This is a part of Daniel's vision of the four beasts. And at verse 9, we read this. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand, thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. And I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away. But their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Their dominion was taken away. Why? Well, something's about to happen. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days. This is not talking about the second coming of Jesus. He's not coming to the earth. He's coming to the ancient of days. He's coming to God. Isn't that what the ascension is? Jesus returning to his father in heaven. That's a prediction of the ascension. One, coming, one like a son of man coming to the ancient of days, presented before him, and given a throne and a kingdom. That's the ascension, beloved. And Jesus' historical ascension, the historical fact of the ascension of Jesus Christ fulfills this prophecy in Daniel. So, we have fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Secondly, in the ascension of Jesus, we have the fulfillment of Christ's prophecy. Christ's prophecy. Let's go to um, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Still with me out there? Don't leave me now. John chapter 6. Here we go. This is a great chapter. This is a classic chapter. Okay. Classic chapter. This is where uh, the sort of the line is drawn. This is where the phony disciples begin bailing on Jesus. This is where he says things like, you know, uh, I'm the true bread. I'm the true man. Uh, eat my flesh, drink my blood. If you don't do that, you have no part of me. Things like that. Things that no, nobody can come to me unless God draws him, you know, and he says it twice. And, and, uh, and then we pick it up around, uh, let's see. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We we know this guy. I mean, he's just one of us. What's he talking about? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Here he goes, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Woo. Okay. In other words, you don't, you, you, really don't, you don't decide on your own. God's got to work first. God's got to be gracious to you. God's got to give you a new heart. No one can come to Jesus unless God draws them. And then verse 48, I'm the bread of life. Verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Fifty-six, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Boy, and this is really getting to him. Verse 60 we read, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? In other words, you guys are offended. Okay, let me give you another one to chew on. I'm going back to God bodily. I will ascend to heaven. The glory that I had before the foundation of the world and before the incarnation will be restored. And Jesus, as always, was telling the truth. The ascension, the historical Ascension Vindicated his words And then in John 20 Verse 17 On that great first Easter morning Christ's appearance to Mary Magdalene On the morning of the resurrection We read this Jesus said to her Do not cling to me For I have not yet ascended to the Father But go to my brothers and say to them I am ascending To my Father And your Father and to my God and your God. How comforting is that? Jesus is God and our God. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And guess what? He did. He did just what he said he was going to do. So the ascension fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. The ascension fulfills Jesus' prophecies about himself. And thirdly, the ascension fulfills our joy, our well-being, and our confidence. Let's talk about that for a few minutes before we close. How, how, How does this happen? How does this happen? Well, a couple of ways. First, through the empowering ministry of God's Spirit through the empowering ministry of God's Spirit. John 16, verse 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. In other words, the ascension will be for your advantage. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Listen, beloved, without the ascension, there would be no descension of the Holy Spirit. From his royal throne, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit constantly to regenerate and to sanctify his chosen people and to equip them for service, to to constantly help us in so many ways. Let me mention just a few real quick. By renewing our minds, the Holy Spirit renews our minds. If your mind is not Uh, grappling to wrap itself around the beautiful sayings and principles and precepts and truths of the Bible, maybe the Holy Spirit is absent in your life, and that today you need to be born again. The Spirit comes and renews our mind with truth. The Spirit comes to give us wisdom and guidance and discernment. He comes to grant us peace and comfort in difficult times. Yes, this past year or so has been difficult. But I can honestly say, not because of me, because of the Holy Spirit of God. I've pretty much been at peace. I know how it all ends, as do every one of you, brothers and sisters. You know how it all ends. It may get really bad here. But that doesn't take our peace away. We rest in the one who's seated at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit comes to enable us to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He comes to help us live for God's glory in challenging times. He comes to strengthen us to courageously stand firm when demonic teachings threaten the church. Through this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, we can constantly realize the spiritual omnipresence of our King and our Savior. Through the Holy Spirit, our Lord is able to keep The promise that he made right before he ascended. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The second channel through which our joy and our well-being and our confidence is fulfilled is through not only the empowering ministry of God's Spirit, but through the assuring ministry of God's Son. The assuring ministry of God's Son In two ways. First, as our high priest. As our high priest. Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for you. Now just ponder that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, 100% man, 100% God. Jesus who took on flesh like the flesh you're wearing. Who became like us in all ways yet without sin. So that he could be nailed to a cross to pay for your sin. To pay the debt that you could have never paid. And now he is right next to God. Speaking your name in prayer. Do you know the assurance of that? Do you know the joy of that? If not, today's the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can enter into that. Jesus constantly, continuously, consistently intercedes for his people. He is interceding for us right now, praying for our strength, praying for our sanctification, praying that we would have wisdom, praying that we would understand his word rightly, praying that we would be filled with his spirit, praying that our lives will glorify the Father, praying that we will not compromise with the world praying that we will love God above all else and love each other as we love ourselves. And the list goes on and on and on. Christ has got a big prayer list. And he's praying it constantly for his people. But not only as our high priest, but also as our advocate. Our advocate. 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, an advocate, an offense attorney. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. As our interceding high priest, Jesus prays that we will not sin. But when we do sin, he advocates for us. He represents us. In the court of heaven, he takes off his priest hat and puts on his lawyer hat. In his exalted position at the right hand of God, Jesus serves as our infallible, perfect defense attorney. Because of his work on our behalf, both at the cross 2,000 years ago as our substitute and in heaven now as our advocate. No one, no one can ever find us guilty. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the key, being in Christ Jesus. If you're not in him, you are condemned. You are condemned already. But for the believer, we are clothed in his perfect righteousness. His atoning death provided our release from the shackles of the sin that would have condemned us forever. And his glorious ascension placed him in the wonderful position of our advocate in the courts of heaven. Praise his glorious name. I pray that you can join with me in that this morning. Just truly thanking Jesus for all that he has done for you and for what he is doing for you right now as your high priest and your advocate. Let's move to a close by reminding ourselves of these beautiful words in that classic text uh, from Paul in Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. This passage never gets old. Philippians chapter two, verses one to 10. Let's just read it as we get ready to come to the table this morning Philippians chapter 2 so verse 1 if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being full accord and of one mind do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then verse 5 sums up verses 1 through 4. In words, Paul's saying, let me, let me put it to you like this. Let me say it in a single statement, what I just said in verses 1 through 4. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. Because when when that's a reality, then all the exhortations in verse 1 through 4 just sort of start happening. Not perfectly. We never arrive, right? But growingly in sanctification Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he launches into that great Christ-exalting passage, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Merry Christmas. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, because of Jesus' humbling of himself, because of his massive dissension from glory to the depths of crucifixion, On a Roman cross. Therefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That's the that's the ascension. That's what happened at the ascension. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Hmm, maybe that prison. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a passage. Because of the cross, the Father crowns Jesus as Lord of all creation. A creation that is groaning, according to Romans 8, for the ultimate consummation of His eternal kingdom. And as His redeemed people, we groan for that as well. If this year, past year has done nothing else, it's increased my groaning. With groanings that cannot be properly expressed. and The Holy Spirit helps us. Glenn Scribner, in his great book, uh, Reading Between the Lines, comments on this humbling and Christ-exalting text in these words. The Father vindicates the Son, and in vindicating the Son, He is vindicating suffering love as the true display of that divine glory. One day everyone will bow the knee to Jesus. One day everyone will. If you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to do it today and beat the rush on the last day. One day, everyone will bow the knee to Jesus, the Lord. The whole world will recognize what the Father has declared the suffering servant is Lord of all. Humble, self abandoning love is enthroned as the very heartbeat of deity, the mind of the servant is the mind of God. So I ask you this morning, beloved, do you have the mind of Christ, the ultimate servant, who is Lord of all? Have you bowed the knee to him? If not, today is the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, my heart is full of of these meditations that we've had today. Regarding the person of Jesus. His victory over sin. His victory over demons. His victory over death and hell. And his rightful position at your right hand. I'm overwhelmed. I'm full. I'm humbled. And I'm very grateful. Oh God, make us a grateful church. Make us a humble church. Please, Father, save our children. Save our grandchildren. Save any guests here today that do not know you. Open their eyes. Take out the heart of stone. Put in the heart of flesh. Draw them to yourself. For no one can come to Christ unless you do that. We know that by the authoritative words of Jesus. So please, Father, save. Grant repentance. Give new hearts. For your glory. And the good of those in desperate need. Father, thank you for this time at the table now. Thank you for the great joy of remembering And focusing on what you've done for us. And for in in some mysterious spiritual way, actually communing with you through the precious ministry of the Holy Spirit. We bless your name. We thank you with all that we are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.